Escape Pond 203 This week's story The Legend of St. Ignace by Samantha Henderson Hello and welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly fix for fantastic science fiction delivered via podcast. I'm your guest host, Norm Sherman. Boy, oh boy, you people are in for a freaking Brobdignagian-sized treat this week. We've got a story with aliens, missionaries, booze, and the phrase slimy octopus abortion. I kid you not, slimy octopus abortion. An S-O-A. It's probably the best put-down you'll ever hear for the rest of your life. It's the new S-O-B, you dirty little S-O-A. Whoa, hey now. I I was just saying that to demonstrate the venom behind those words. You're cool, okay? Just freaking settle down. Jeez. So, this week's story oozed out from the masterfully imaginative mind of Samantha Henderson, and it's called The Legend of St. Ignatz, The Provider. Samantha's fiction has appeared in Strange Horizons, Realms of Fantasy, and Cheesing, and in podcasts such as Escape Pod, Starship Sofa, and The Drabblecast, which I want to state for the record is passionately pro-life when it comes to cephalopods. Stand with me now. It's time we reversed Roe v. Squid. The narration of this story pours forth from the skilled maw of Ray Sizemore. Ray is from Norwalk, Ohio, and he manages a tavern and hosts karaoke. You can hear him read more great stories at Starship Sofa and the Drabblecast. So pour out that vodka and stick in that catheter, because it's story time. The Legend of St. Ignatz the Provider by Samantha Henderson. It came to pass in the year of the Twin Comets that Father Ignatz of Jupiter Base came to Iolanthe, moon of Eucasta in the Sullivan system. When he beheld the little people of Iolanthe, he said, Blessed is the name of the Lord, for in the darkest reaches his creatures flourish. Not one is born, but he knows it, and none perishes that is not, in its innocence, gathered to his breast. And even in their ignorance, these praise him, for by their labor they bring forth things of beauty and dig the crystals of great price. And so the blessed Ignatz determined that the little people should be brought into the embrace of Mother Church, that they might know their Savior's name and the price paid long since for their salvation. The Testament of Norton, University of Solaris Press. Third edition. You're a disgrace to your calling and your species. The cardinal's words were at odds with the verging on seductive voice of the translator embedded in the Anturian's chlortank. From beneath lowered lashes, Ignatz O'Reilly, D.D. Interspecies, watched his superior's mouth tendrils vibrate, a gesture he knew denoted extreme lust or mounting rage. Lust was out of the question, he supposed. 
falling down drunk at mass, passing out in confession, and don't think your little black market dealings go unnoticed. The cardinal's posterior spines flushed blue. Ignatz averted his eyes even further, studying the faint brown lines crisscrossing each other on a slate floor the color of dried blood. The mutant squid bastard really was mad this time. If I might be permitted to explain, Your Eminence, Ignatz's tongue tasted like last night's liquor. I indulge for purely medicinal reasons, a slight asthmatic condition. Any allegations that I would engage in illegal feminine tones cut him short. Bishop Abdubel warned me you were a bad bargain, and I should have listened. But no, I needed a pastor for Jupiter base, and there you were. Rough crowd, transient population like all those old empire backwater holes. I knew I couldn't be picky. But I did expect even a third-rate priest to get through the tedium without passing out. The Antirian continued to rant, and Ignatz tuned him out, squinting at the patterns at his feet. He wanted to close his eyes and give in to the hangover that pounded the inside of his skull, demanding surrender. But if he did, he knew he'd topple right over. The brown graphic lines spread across the floor, under the eerie glow of the chlor tank, and climbed the walls of the receiving chamber. Here, in his private rooms, his eminence preferred the subdued geometric symbols of his home planet to the garish, pan-species iconography of the public audience rooms. The translator's voice paused. Ignat swayed and thought it best to kneel. Forgive a poor sinner, your eminence. I am ready to do what penance you will. You slimy octopus abortion, he mouthed, head down. I am glad to hear it. The translator managed to sound dry. Rejoice, for the church has obtained permission from the interteam to send a holy shepherd to our new-found brothers in the Sullivan system. Forgetting his headache and church protocol, Ignatz leapt to his feet. Those... those insects on Iolanthe? You can't be serious. They are not insects. They're hardly mammals, Ignatz sputtered, unthinking. The cardinal's spines quivered dangerously. Neither am I. Yet, like you, I have an immortal soul. Or do you have the arrogance to dispute that, human? Ignatz collected himself. He knew better than to accuse the cardinal of the serious heresy, which held that Homo sapiens was too weak in body and corrupt in mind for its form to harbor the Son of God. But there were rumors. Never, your eminence, but— Then return to your quarters and prepare yourself. The FTL leaves next orbit. You'll find the preliminary documentation on the Triclac in the palace library. I suggest you meditate on your calling and upon the temptations that led you astray. Ignatz opened his mouth and, upon reflection, closed it again. The cardinal had every excuse to have him defrocked. He had few skills, but— one was knowing what needed to be smuggled where for maximum profit, and without the advantages his position in the church gave him, that talent was useless. As a priest, he could arrange drops in the shelter of the confession, 
and used dewy-eyed acolytes and lay ministers to deliver messages and small goods. The port police of Jupiter Base weren't fools, so they knew it wasn't the Holy Spirit that brought Father Ignatz to minister to freight humpers on the docks on loading day. But they'd never prove it, so they turned a blind eye to his minor trade. He was too big a lush to be a major player anyway. His mediocrity sheltered him more than the tattered remnants of his faith. It wasn't that Ignatz O'Reilly had forsaken his god. But Ignatz's deity had long since retreated to the background in a universe of drink and quick profits. He'd become a little Bacchus, selfish as Ignatz in his animal pleasures, harmless as a drunken deer, swilling his wine and indolent upon a heap of grapes in the back of his priest's mind. He'd made his obeisance to the chlor-tank, and was halfway to the door when the translator sounded again. Father Ignatz. He turned. Yes, Your Eminence. I understand from the interteam surveys that Iolanthi has significant deposits of Q-crystals. Ah, thought Ignatz. Things become clear now. The Anturian continued. To strengthen the coffers of the Mother Church while reaping souls for the fold would go far to ensure your eventual and comfortable redemption. In the back of Ignatz's mind, the goat-legged god stretched his limbs and chuckled. Said Ignatz. I see. Said his eminence. I'm sure you do. Bloated squid carcass, thought Ignatz. Horrible, hairy ape, thought his eminence. As the human priest left, the anterian invertebrate sunk to the bottom of his tank. Seeking grace, he veiled his iPods and thought of shimmering green lights glowing far above him in blood-warm waters. And the little people, who called themselves the Triklak, listened to the holy words of the blessed Ignatz, and so came to know the will of God, even in the dark womb of soulless space. So went the vision of St. Salimé Bakbir, when the angel came to her and said, Send the minions of the Lord to worlds known and uncharted. Send them cheerfully to die amidst the stars, and reap the souls of creatures strange, beautiful, and horrible in form. For although Christ came in a man's shape, he died transcendent, bodiless. Father Ignatz O'Reilly watched Yocasta's gigantic moon get bigger through the transparent floor of the FTL. He saw purple seas and low-lying islands of bluish-gray that joined together to form ragged continents. Overhead, Yocasta hung white in the sky, immense, barren, and reproachful. Unlike her satellite, she had never developed recognizable life unless it hid deep in her acid seas where the interteam dared not venture. Iolanthe was almost terrorized, with a high atmospheric oxygen content and a native population of intelligent beings remarkably receptive to contact with otherworldly beings. The FTL paused 150 meters above a junction of shore and sea. A finger of land, crooked and blue, jutted out into the lilac water. Matching Iolanthe's orbit, the FTL would appear stock-still suspended to anyone on the ground. The Meeting Place 
the first mate's voice sounded in the vicinity of Ignatz's right ear. He jumped and bit back a word unseemly for a man of the cloth to think, much less utter. I see, he said, trying to maintain a semblance of dignity. Magnify, said the first mate. Ignatz hadn't bothered to remember the names of the crew, and the scene below jumped closer. Fringes of blue vegetation clustered on the blue shore, while the beet-stained water lapped at the crumbling rocks. The water was shallow, and he saw the silhouettes of creatures, like giant clawless lobsters, scuttering slowly along the bottom. "'Those are them, aren't they? The Triklak?' He felt the first mate's sidelong look. "'As your lit manual states, father, the Triklak are land-dwellers.' The proto-crustaceans below us, like the other life-forms of Iolanthe, do not appear to be sentient. Of course, said Ignatz, bristling at the first mate's chilly tone. The lit manual, detailing all known information about the satellite and her inhabitants, was still in his cubicle. He'd actually looked at it once, before he decided faster-than-light travel was best done dead drunk. He did read about the Q-crystals. Large veins riddled the surface of Iolanthe, rivers of crystal there for the taking. Their molecular structure made FTL travel possible. Naturally, a significant source would be invaluable to the interteam. Naturally, such resources are the property of native species. But if they choose to trade... Ignatz was reasonably certain they'd choose to trade. Beneath the FTL, two of the Triklak stood. One was still. The other waved its front appendages at the ship, in what may have been a formal or a playful gesture. They did look like insects, Ignatz thought, like big, oddly jointed beetles. Four of their six legs rooted them to the ground, while a central body segment sported another pair that seemed to serve the function of arms, at least when the creature reared up. A carapace protected the body, so covered with ridges and spurs that from this distance the shell looked lacy. Topping the central segment was a tiny head, with outsized eye pods on either side. While the body was blue-black, the eyes blazed with color, greens, blues, the shifting lilac of the shallow sea. "'They're ready now,' said the first mate. "'Time for detox.' I am prepared to take the confessions of any crew that desired to be shrived, said Ignatz. He knew that several, including the captain, were of the faith. The first mate swiveled his head slowly, like a big six-legged insect, and transfixed the priest with an icy glare. Thank you, he said. I'll spread the word. They detoxed him scrupulously, with an efficiency that bordered on sadism. He was raw and sore by the time they were finished. The point is not to protect you from Iolanthe's environment, but the ecosystem from you, said the specialist tersely, as yet again she demonstrated the containment procedure. What was her name? Jolie? Julie? You are to wear the barrier gear any time you leave your accommodation. Her manner had been friendlier before she found a contraband bottle of Jovian green vodka in his personal effects, between his Bible and the lit manual. 
surly bunch, these clean and shiny interteam youths. Good thing she hadn't found the seventeen bottles he'd managed to stash in the supply compartment at the beginning of the trip. He nodded owlishly over the skin-tight gloves, the static boots, the transparent suit equipped with an alarming number of tubes and pouches for diversion of waste and byproducts. No burying your dung here in virgin territory. No peeing in the bushes. We will be monitoring your telemetry, she continued, as she buckled him in the pod. Should you leave your quarters without appropriate gear, we will be aware of it. Such action constitutes a Class B violation of the Universal Environmental Code. It's like she doesn't trust me, said Ignatz over her shoulder to the first mate, who'd come to see him off. The first mate didn't smile. The crews come to be very protective of the Triklak. They're a likable species. We wouldn't want any harm to come to them. Then you should be glad that the Mother Church seeks to save their immortal souls, said Ignatz cheerfully, for the pleasure of seeing the man's angular face darken. Before I go, he continued, would the captain care for me to bless the ship? The first mate studied the priest's face a moment. During the second interstellar schism of two centuries ago, when there were twenty-eight popes at one time and the venality of the clergy was legend, it was said that heaven was empty, so corrupt was the very core of the church. She would not, said the first mate. And although Ignatz was teasing the man, his feelings were hurt. After all, he was an anointed priest of the church, the temporal intercession between God and the sentient. The goat-legged god yawned, showing pink gums and sharp white teeth. Ignatz paused before stowing the last Q-crystal with its fellows. Half the size of his palm, it felt warm and silky in his hand. The interior was opaque, fractured by the countless tiny matrices integral to its structure. A pretty little thing, he thought, wrapping it in a scrap of static cloth and placing it carefully in the waste bag. He touched the seal, and with a faint hiss of escaping air, the bag closed in on itself, Twenty kilos of Q-crystals cradled inside. The bag went inside a carry-all, almost filled to capacity by similar bags and marked by the imprimatur of the Mother Church. No one, from a customs inspector to an FTL captain, could open anything so sealed. A pity that Mother Church's coffers would not benefit. Ignatz intended to cast off his vocation as soon as the next FTL plucked him from Iolanthe and deposited him on Jupiter base. He'd move the crystals through the smuggling network. They'd be snapped up by any shipper needing the extra, untaxed Q-drive boost. A touch more speed, a trifle more maneuverability. Anything that cut customs charges was worth money, more than a small-time whiskey priest could ever hope to realize. Father? The translator embedded in his suit's circuitry buzzed. Ignatz glanced at the door of the outsized tent that was his quarters. He'd forgotten to seal it again. Just outside the flap, the lacy back ridges of a triclac were visible. Cracktil? He was guessing. It was difficult to distinguish one triclac from another, although there was variance in their assorted spurs and spikes. Cracktil was the one who most often came to his tent, however. 
Ignatz had the impression he was younger than the others of the group. The Triklak mined the crystals from their shallow veins, and the low-lying caves that dotted the plains of the continent of which they were the dominant species. They flaked the rocks to produce the sharp blades that were their primary tools, although as far as he could tell they never used them for attack or defense. They had no natural enemies and no internal conflicts. Absurd to send a priest to Eden. Stowing the carryall under the bed, he waved to the triclack. I will come, he called. Delicious, replied the creature, scuttling away. The translator, programmed with the basics of the vocabulary and grammar of the triclack language, learned and processed nuance and idiom as it went. After several years of use, it would be very fluent. For now, some of the responses he got bordered on the bazaar. He wondered what the 23rd Psalm sounded like in Triklak. What was their version of the Valley of the Shadow of Death? And the feast in the presence of mine enemies? Delicious, probably. As he left his quarters, he remembered to seal the entrance, and the whir of the oxygenerators inside became less frantic. In response to Iolanthe's low O2 atmosphere, the tubes in the neckpiece of his suit began to seep pure oxygen. He breathed deeply and smiled. Heady stuff, that. Almost as good as the booze. Gractil waited patiently. As Ignatz approached, the beetle-like creature clacked one of its upper appendages against its back spurs and held up a small white object with the other. The priest smiled as he bent down for the Q-crystal. The Triklak knew he collected the crystals, and often brought him those they mined or found in the cave rubble. They seemed amused by his interest. "'Thank you, Grokthil,' he said, rubbing the surface of the crystal with a gloved thumb before dropping it in a utility pocket. "'As it pleases, Father,' the Triklak responded. The translator's voice buzzed, harsh and unmusical, behind his ear. It was a pity the field models didn't have the feminine inflection of those in common use back home. He liked the thought of these giant bugs speaking in the breathy accents of a Jovian call girl. "'The elder summon?' he asked, knowing the translator would drop the pronoun. It worked more efficiently if he attempted to match the Triklak's idiom. "'They ask if it pleases.' "'Happy,' said Ignatz, and the Triklak clacked its ridges once more before turning to lead the priest to the meeting-place. Sullivan was beginning its descent, and the late afternoon light was heavy and golden. Ignatz noticed a chill in the air. The long, warm summer-spring season was coming to an end. Nine months he'd been here, and never a day of bad weather. Eden. The foliage was changing as well. The waist-deep bushes and vines that tangled across the plains, branched and veined by the paths the Triklaks had worn, were turning a brilliant green. Here and there, a stalwart shrub remained solidly blue-gray, and in the distance an azure haze showed the season's change had not yet fully spread. But from the slopes above, where his tent quarters stood, to the lilac sea where the elders waited at the meeting-place, all was emerald and jade. Eden. The elders clacked their back ridges as Gractil led him to the circular clearing. Having no ridges to clack, Ignatz inclined his head. Pleasure, 
muttered the translator, and pleasure, again, as the elders murmured their greetings. Ignatz replied that he was glad to attend them, that nothing made him happier, keeping a sharp eye on the serrated tips of the upper appendages of the nearest triclax. Something was different this day. They were as polite as always, but something in their manner was wrong. Nervous natives made him nervous. He had no intention of becoming a martyr. Each triclac was less than half his size, true, but there were thirty or more at council, and their claws were sharp. Something touched his hand, and he jumped. Gractil, standing behind him. The young triclac's heir was apologetic. It is known the mind is with God, the God you bring. It is known the concerns of the flesh are beneath such a holy one, but the elders are troubled and would consult God's messenger. It befits the youngest and most foolish to speak of petty things. Ignatz glanced at the loose semicircle, some shifting restlessly back and forth. Usually they sat at the meeting place, listening with rapt attention to his cribbed sermons and parables. The Savior made simple. Catholicism for insects. He doubted that in the whole history of the Mother Church there had ever been an easier conversion. The Triclac took everything he said, every word, as a matter of absolute faith. They doubted nothing, denied nothing. It took him a while to figure out why, and when he did, he grinned and winked at his goat-legged god, who smirked back in complicity. The Triclac never developed the fine art of lying. They always told the absolute truth. Why lie in Eden? And now the change in their demeanor made him uneasy. But they didn't seem bent on massacre. Cautiously, he answered, Happy to listen. Gractil began. But when Ignatz spoke of Jesus... The Triclac wept. Alas, they cried, for the time of the great death is upon us, and the seed that lies within us shall never know the Lord. And the saint was astonished, and asked the cause of their sorrowing. They told him thusly, that every ninth revolution of the planet Tirkasta came the long season of cold that killed the land, the plants that grew there, and the tiny life that lived therein. And at this time each of their people would go deep into the caverns and die the little death among the crystals until the warm season returned and so revived them. But first they would take such foodstuffs as they had gathered and dissolve them into a gel, binding them in such a way that they might feed upon them when they woke, so that in the days before the plants renewed the triclac should not perish. Always there were those that never woke from the little death, their seedlings hatching from their cold husks, and always there were those that woke that they might teach and foster the little ones born thus. So had the Triclac lived since they had known time. And the saint said, Praise God, then, for thus he charts your birthing and dying, and all is provided for. But the Triclac said, We are perished, and will know God no more, for the growing things that are our food, that we bind against the cold, have turned green and died before their time. 
We have no stores to see our seedlings through the barren times, and our race shall die. And the saints said, Fear not, God will provide. But his heart was troubled. Ignatz looked at the emerald green leaf in his hand. He rubbed it between his fingers. It crumbled to dust, dry as the sands of Golgotha. He let it fall, bright motes on the floor of his quarters. Something was killing the foliage of Iolanthe, something lethal and unforeseen. It didn't take a genius to figure out what it was. Waste, buried a few meters from his tent. He needed the bags to seal the Q-crystals. Peeing in the bushes, for he was a lazy man, and disliked the catheter. And sixteen empty bottles of Jovian vodka, scattered in the undergrowth. Standing on the shore, he could see it so clearly. The deadly star of green scarring the land, his quarters dead in the center. Why didn't they know? Why couldn't they make the connection? Even if their optical nerves couldn't register the intensity of the green surrounding his tent, surely they could see the correlation between the arrival of an alien life form and the contamination of their food source. Why didn't they know him for what he was? The serpent in the Garden of Eden. Because, in their sacred simplicity, it was impossible for a messenger of God for so he said he was, and so he must be, to bring them harm. Now he broke the seal of the last bottle of Jovian and took a gulp, welcoming the familiar burn down his gullet. Poor little creatures. Soon they'd crawl into their caves for their last hibernation, and the FTL would come to take him to a life of untold riches. By the time the interteam figured out there was anything wrong with Iolanthe's dominant species, he'd be long gone. Poor, innocent bastards. He knew Grochtil was outside the tent, waiting for the priest to emerge with words of grace and comfort. The vodka glowed in his belly. By God, he'd do it. He was still the Lord's anointed. He capped the bottle carefully. He wanted every drop safe and sound. He stood on the outcropping of stone behind the meeting place. The elders were there, and hundreds more, making the shoreline black with their bodies. The red light of Sullivan's setting glinted off their carapaces. He raised his hand, and the tricklack bent their legs beneath him, squatting to listen. They sat still, with no nervous shifting in their ranks. Ignatz took a deep breath and tried to remember. When the hour was come, he began, and his liquor-roughened voice drew strength from their stillness. He ignored the buzzing of the translator. He sat down and the apostles with him, and taking bread he gave thanks and broke it and gave them, saying, This is my body. So that day the saint told them of the Last Supper, of the bread and wine that were Christ's flesh transcendent, 
that he gave to the universe and its creatures. When he was done, he blessed them, and, returning to his chamber, he fell into a heavy slumber, whereupon he sought visions. And the Triklak thought long upon his words. His head felt stuffed with the dead leaves of the plants he'd killed. Around him, he heard the clicking of carapaces, felt the movement of small creatures. With a huge effort, he pried his eyelids open. An iridescent jewel half the size of his fist glinted before him, the eye of a tricklack. He found it hard to breathe. Cracktill, he croaked. The creature was sitting on his chest. Yes, father, the translator buzzed. He'd forgotten to take off his suit, and a light still burned in the tent. Careless of him. Other tricklacks surrounded his bunk, and he felt the weight of at least two on his legs. What the hell is going on here? He managed, not bothering with the idiom. His tongue felt like lead. Claws, gentle beneath his shoulders, lifted him up. No fear, father, said Gracktill. Ignatz barely registered the flash of white, the crystal blade in the tricklack's claw, the swift, stabbing movement. Pain blossomed like a rose at the base of his skull. He opened his mouth and tried to scream. Some air came out and he managed to squeak. His lungs refused to give more. The pain was gone. All feeling below his neck was gone. He couldn't move his head. He couldn't move anything. At the edge of his vision, he saw movement. The floor crawling black with the tricklack. No fear, repeated Gracktill. The elders would have no suffering, not for the gift the father gives. Ah? Uh -huh. Ignatz managed. In the night, the wise conferred and found the true message of the father's words. The father's body will nourish us after the little death, so our seedlings will not die. No, screamed Ignatz. But nothing came out. Desperately, he concentrated on squeezing the air from his paralyzed lungs. Gracktill bent close to hear. Somehow, he forced a whisper. Poison! The translator buzzed. But the father has said the Lord will provide. He would not poison us or send a false messenger. But I am the falsest of the false, said Ignatz silently. And I mean you no good, and I have wrought your destruction for my profit and nothing else. His lips refused to move, and the translator was silent. Considerately, the tricklack kept him propped up so that he could see them at work, saw them exude a thick, clear liquid from their mouth slits, a liquid that dripped on his legs and turned them to jelly, skin, flesh, bones and all, saw them roll globs of the gelatinous mass into pellets and roll them away. When his legs were gone and they started on his torso, he began to laugh in short, breathy gasps. His lips moved, his voice so faint the translator could not pick it up. As it pleases, Gracktill. But the tricklack understood. 
Delicious, father, he replied. Ignatz's god laughed with him then, rising from his heap of grapes and stretching out his arms in welcome. And Ignatz told them, Take my flesh, dissolve it, and bind it up, that you might live again. I give you my body of my own free will, that you might know and teach your generations the way of the Lord. The Triklak did as he ordered, and when their little death was ended, they feasted and praised the Lord who had provided for them. And they found in the chambers of the saint a store of the crystals he had set aside, and they built an altar as he had intended. In this way, Ignatz the Blessed died to live again. Nuts, said his eminence when he read the report. Now we'll have to beatify the oxygen-breathing bastard. And to give him credit, he did. Missionary work is tough, but for a lot of really remote tribes, it gives them their first taste of religion, especially if they're cannibal tribes. Speaking of Jesus, I had a dream a while back where I was listening to the radio, NPR Science Friday, when all of a sudden Ira Flato starts interviewing this scientist who had reportedly discovered traces of Jesus' DNA and was in the process of cloning Jesus. This is when it turned into a nightmare. No, a big, oddly-jointed beetle didn't stab me in the neck with a crystal knife. It was more Jurassic Park. Anyways, I wrote a song about it, and I thought I'd tag it onto the end of the show as special closing music. But first, Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can share the good news with other sentient species, but profit thee not from commercial usage. If you'd like to make the goat-legged god smile, you can donate via PayPal options on the website, escapepod.org. Come on, don't be a tight-fisted SOA. Build up some karma, and maybe the beetles won't eat you. Check out the other denominations of Escape Pod. Podcastle, for disciples of fantasy fiction. Or the horror podcast, Pseudopod, the patron podcast of zombies. Our opening music is by Daikaiju. Check them out at daikaiju.org. Our closing quotation this week is from Mark Twain, who said, Now and then we had a hope that if we lived and were good, God would permit us to be pirates. You loosen your tie and you head on home. Turn on the radio and what do you hear? Somebody saying that the end is near. Other people say there's nothing to fear from the Jesus clones. If only we had known to never tamper with the little bit of pieces of Jesus pieces, petrified and amber. Day that they clone Jesus 
They went too far on a distant island, raised a theme park. They cloned Jesus to run around and amuse us. Oh, tell me now, where were you the day that they cloned Jesus? The day that they cloned Jesus. Down for miles and miles around, they paid high admission to get onto the grounds. Bought lots of funnel cakes and drank lots of beer. Took the guided tours. They saw Jesus running with herds of gazelle. It was Jesus feeding time when the guide rang the bell. Everyone was happy and all was well, but there was calamity in store. If only we had known their awesome powers. Never would I use that Jesus blue To orchestrate our final hours Where were you? The day that they cloned Jesus Where were you? The day that they Finally they went too far On a distant island Raised a theme park Come on, come on It's open for the season Oh, tell me now Thank you. 